Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, as I already said, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bellmead United Methodist Church. And as you might have heard earlier in the service or read in an email earlier this week, today starts my first day as pastor of youth, missions, and care. Yeah, kind of excited about that. <laughs> One thing I'd like to say, though, that's really kind of cool is that prior to me accepting this position, even before I ever thought about moving this direction, um, I accepted doing the sermon today. Uh, I felt like God was telling me to do it when Sam was asking for someone to do it. And so here I am. I just found that kind of remarkable that I didn't know what plans were coming. I couldn't see what was in front of me, but God knew. And here I am preaching today. And we're so glad that you're here with us this morning to worship both online and in person. And during this Easter season, we've had an amazing past couple of weeks. Easter Sunday, we welcomed 545 people in person and 234 people online. Yeah. Our Easter offering was over $13,000. It's remarkable. And last week, we held our first ever Worship Without Walls event, where in place of our Sunday morning worship services, we served our community with over 13 different projects and over 170 people serving, serving lunch at Community Care Fellowship, creating blankets for patients at St. Thomas, baking cookies, sorting books, and bundling diapers for the Rolling Hills community refreshing and reviving flower beds, painting doors and railings at H.G. Hill Middle School, writing letters to the teachers at H.G. Hill Middle, helping the environment via our eco-friendly trash pickup and Cumberland River cleanup projects, singing and loving on residents at Abe's Garden, retirement community and memory care unit, doing yard work for a widower in our neighborhood who lost his wife this past year. His wife used to do most of the yard work and his yard needed some TLC, and collecting goods for our salt and light food pantry project. In this season of resurrection and new life, we are beginning a new sermon series, and this series is called All the Good, and it focuses on one of John Wesley's most well-known rules for guiding and ordering one's life. John Wesley is the, one of the founders of the Methodist movement and in turn, the Methodist Church. And Wesley's rule is this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. As I was reflecting on this statement, I couldn't help but notice that the word you is used seven times. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, and so on. This could lead us to think that it's up to us, that good happens or does not happen on our watch. And while I agree that we can partner for good, good is not ours alone. It's not a solo act, and it's not ultimately up to us. 
We could also view this passage as a way to measure ourselves against one another, a competition of sorts, a way to compare ourselves or our goodness to one another. But this is not the purpose of this phrase either. This phrase is not meant to be used as a mantra that we are the bringers of good alone. Nor is it a competitive phrase meant to be used to measure ourselves in comparison with others. This phrase is meant to be used as a way of living type of phrase. A moment by moment opportunity type of phrase. It's a phrase about oneness or awareness of what God is already doing whenever we do good, whether we know it or not. God is always a partner in the mix. If it's good, it's God's, because God is good. The goal of this phrase is to help us become more aware of what God is already doing by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, at all the times we can, with all the people we can, as long as ever we can. But not only is the goal of this phrase to help us become more aware of what God is already doing and join in, it's also the goal of this phrase to help us to learn the difference between the things that are for God alone to do and those things that we are being called to partner with God to do. There are certain things that are above our pay grade or beyond our ability, and there are certain things we can partner with God to change for good. And it's important to know the difference. Reminds me of the serenity prayer. It was written by Reinhold Niebuhr, an American theologian. The most familiar portion of the serenity prayer is this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You see, like the serenity prayer, this Wesleyan rule is a moment-by-moment -moment phrase or prayer that is meant to help guide, orient, and order our daily lives. It's meant to help us discern what is ours and what is God's. It's meant to inspire us to do good and simultaneously remind us that the originator of all the good is God because God is good. My prayer is that during this series, this Wesleyan rule will serve as a daily reminder and guide as we listen for how God is continuously calling us to partner to do good in each of our lives and in the lives of others. Now back to the you that we started with in the Wesleyan rule. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. The you is important in this phrase. It's meant to be there. It's just not meant to be our primary focus. However, this does not mean that we should not focus on it at all. Nor should we shirk our responsibility. 
As the people of God, we're called to join in with what God is already doing. This is what a partner does. This is what the church does. And last Sunday, we did just that. We partnered with God and served in our community through worship without walls. And many of you were there. We met, we held a brief commissioning service and then served others through various projects, both on-site at our facility and in our local community. We were doing all the good we could by all the means we could in all the places we could at all the times we could to all the people we could. You could say we were being salt and light. Today's scripture speaks of the people of God as being the salt of the earth. And the question becomes, why salt? Why does Jesus use this metaphor for the people of God? Salt is a preservative. It cures. It's essential to life. Too much salt is bad. Too little salt is bad as well. There's a balance to salt. Oversalted food is ruined. Undersalted food, bland and flavorless. We need a certain amount of salt for life, but too much can harm us. Again, balance. Sometimes I wonder if we in the church have become salty, but not in the way we should. Perhaps sometimes we're too salty, and sometimes not enough. Jesus also warns us in this passage not to lose our saltiness, and this left me questioning. Can salt lose its saltiness? Some scholars suggest that this passage is about purity or impurity, as pure salt never loses its saltiness. Only salt that has been mixed with other impurities loses its saltiness. But what if this passage is not about impurity or purity, but instead about the essential nature of what it means to be a Jesus follower? Salt is essentially salty. If it's not salty, it's not salt. In the same way, we are meant to be essentially salty. As a Jesus follower, if we lose our saltiness, we have lost an essential part of who we are as the people of God. And sometimes I think we as Christians fear that the universal church is losing its saltiness, that it's becoming irrelevant, flavorless, bland. But moments like last week give me hope and remind me that our saltiness is intrinsic to who we are as the people of God. The people of God remain the people of God when we're being the people of God, when we're being the salt of the earth. The scripture for today also speaks of the people of God as the light of the world, a city on a hill. Like the metaphor of salt, light is essentially light. Light without light is not light, it's darkness. Light's purpose is to illuminate or shine, to allow things to be seen. We as the people of God are called to be the light of the world, a city on a hill. 
But what does it mean to be the lie of the world, a city on a hill? To me, the answer is found at the end of the passage. Verse 16 states, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This verse suggests that it's the good works of the people of God that give light to the glory of God. You see, our good works are not ours any more than a flame of a candle is a candle's. The candle had to be lit to shine. In the same way, we share the light we've been given. It was not ours in the beginning, nor is it ours to keep, but it is ours to share. And if we do not share the light we have, what will happen if and when ours goes out? Again, we have come full circle. Good is God's first and foremost. Any good we have is a gift from God. God is the source of the light, and we as the people of God get to share in it, to bask in it. We are the light of the world because God gave us light first, not because we're the source of the light like God. Our light, our good works, point back to the source of the good, the source of all the light, all the good, God. When we do good, we're joining in the divine opportunity that God offers each of us. We are salt and light because God is salt and light. When we do good, we join in all the good that God is already doing and we find ourselves dancing the divine dance that God has been leading since the beginning of time. That's why we feel so alive when we do good. That's why we get lost sometimes in the moment, in the midst of the good. It's as if everything pauses and we find ourselves caught in the embrace of a holy moment, a moment where we are salt and light as God is salt and light. Have you ever been lost in that dance, lost in the good? Have you ever felt like salt and light, like you're part of something greater than yourself, like you're being embraced in the arms of a holy moment? I have felt this embrace. I have danced this dance, and I hope and pray by God I will get to do it again. During my tenure as a youth pastor, I've had the privilege of being present for many holy moments, for feeling like salt and light. One that sticks out to me happened when I was serving with some youth and adults at Casa Hogar Benito Juarez Orphanage in Reynosa, Mexico. We used to go to the orphanage each year to do work, serve, play, and pray. We would go thinking we were going to serve, and we would leave feeling served, humbled, and refreshed. And each year, I would look forward to being with Wincy. About my age, Wincy had cerebral palsy and was prone to seizures. However, these supposed limitations never slowed him down nor dimmed his light. He was full of mischievousness, joy, and wonder. 
We love to spend time with one another, loving on one another, teasing one another. Me and my broken Spanish, he and his bro broken English. His nicknames for me of La Flaca Banana, the skinny banana, or me, hermano, my brother, still ring in my ears. In fact, I had to be careful when I was arriving at the orphanage each year with the group and call ahead because Wincy was the one who opened the gate. And he would get so excited when he saw me that he would have a seizure. Wincy was truly a miracle. His story was etched in the beginnings of that orphanage's walls. His family had not wanted him mistakenly, thinking that he was possessed due to his medical conditions. Wincy had ended up at the orphanage as an infant. And he had lived there his whole life. And one year, we were there. And the orphanage was celebrating a family day. It seems an odd day for an orphanage, right? But many of the children were there for reasons of poverty or addiction, and thus their parents were still invited to come periodically to see them. That day, they were having a special chapel. And Wincy asked me to come as an honorary member of his family. I can remember the part of the worship service where we all stood in a circle holding hands. We were asked to pray out loud simultaneously for the things that we were grateful for. And after about a minute, I ran out of things to say. But I looked around, and I noticed the others around the circle, they were not struggling like me. They were praying incessantly for all the things that they were grateful for. And as I struggled, I felt overwhelmed with gratitude. And I stood there holding hands with Wincy and the others, and I felt humbled, caught up in wonder, embraced by the good, like salt and light. Returning to the scriptures, note that it says, we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, not the salt of the cosmos, nor the light of heaven, but this earth, this world here now. May we seek to be salt and light as God is salt and light in this world. Amen.